0: It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ every weekday morning from our studio on the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Welcome to the Wednesday edition of Daily Thunder. I'm Leslie Ludi and we're going to be going through a study in overcoming spiritual apathy. I'm really excited about this. This is a topic that God has been impressing on me very deeply in a personal way over these past couple of years. And in this session, I want to talk about how to gain God's heart for the modern church. When we are serious about pursuing Jesus Christ, it is really easy to look around and become so frustrated with the widespread apathy, mediocrity, and compromise that we see all around us. And in the 11 years or so that Eric and I have been leading Ellerslie, which is our discipleship training school, this is probably one of the number one challenges that our students from all around the world have expressed to us that it is so rare to find a church or a group of believers that are radically going after Jesus Christ. And because of that reality, it can be very tempting to become cynical and critical towards modern believers or even to completely isolate ourselves from the rest of the body. But I believe it's critical that we take time to gain God's heart for the modern church because his heart actually may surprise us. For us, we might just be frustrated, but God sees things a little bit differently. The lukewarm church of Laodicea in the book of Revelation describes the modern American church almost to a T. Jesus says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Now, it's hard to argue that this is where most of modern American Christianity is at. Comfortable, selfish, blind to our spiritual poverty, Many of us assume that Jesus has become so fed up with this church that he's simply going to vomit it out of his mouth, and that's the end of the story. But what's really amazing to me is that in Revelation 3, Jesus is rebuking the lukewarm church because of his great love for them. Not just because he's disgusted with them, but because he loves them. He desires them to repent and be restored into a right relationship with him. He says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and, therefore, be zealous and repent. His challenge to the church at Laodicea is a rebuke, but it is also an amazing invitation and an opportunity. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me to him who overcomes i will grant to sit with me on my throne on my throne as i also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne now if you look deeper at this verse that phrase dine with him and he with me it's like this incredible invitation it's an allegory that means intimate communion between dear friends and that is his heart for the lukewarm church both in the book of revelation and his heart for the lukewarm church today he is inviting us into this intimate relationship with him and each of us needs to grapple with that question do we really have god's heart the modern church or even if we have lukewarmness in our own lives do we feel like he's just it's the end of the story he's just going to vomit us out of his mouth and that's the end of it or have we become so disgusted by the compromise that we see all around us that maybe we become like Jonah with his attitude toward the city of Nineveh where we would rather run away and let the city be destroyed by their sin. God's love for Nineveh was shocking to Jonah, and his heart for the apathetic modern church might be a little shocking to us as well, even to the point where some of us might be angry like Jonah if he gives the church today another chance. But the reality is that God hasn't given up on the modern church any more than he was willing to give up on the people of Nineveh who were totally given over to wickedness. His heart is for repentance and restoration. It's so easy to point the finger outward and criticize when we see believers in our life who are really not living out their faith in a powerful way. They're just comfortable in mediocrity. And God actually desires to begin with us individually and bring us through a process of personal repentance and revival before we're really going to see lasting change in the modern church. So if you have a burden for the modern church, if you are frustrated by the apathy that you see all around you, everywhere you go, every church you go into, ask yourself the question, am I willing for him to shine the searchlight into my own soul? Am I willing for him to start with me? This hit home for me a number of years ago when Eric and I were traveling and speaking in a lot of churches. We were seeing compromise everywhere. I had become very frustrated with the apathy that I saw in the modern church and very disillusioned by it. And I remember specifically one night being behind the stage of a mega church. We were about to go out and speak for, for some kind of Sunday night service, and we were with the worship team, this church's worship team, behind the stage in the green room. The, this group of worship leaders, they were joking and laughing and telling these crude anecdotes from Saturday Night Live and talking about some, you know, sports team. Like their, their minds, their conversation were very much focused on earthly things and even things that were very, anti-God in in a way. They were eating their snacks, drinking their soft drinks, not spiritually minded at all. And then the pastor walked in and said, okay, guys, we're going up in one minute. Let's pray. So they all just had this little token prayer. And then they went out on stage and they just started, you know, passionately worship worshiping Jesus on the stage. And I sat backstage and I was so frustrated. I was disgusted by the hypocrisy that I was seeing But then God immediately convicted me and pointed the finger right back into my soul and said, you have so much of the same kind of compromise in your own life. You are saying with your mouth that you are passionately pursuing me, but you have lost your first love. And I began to recognize that that was really true. I had been irritated by the compromise that I saw all around me in the church, but I hadn't actually been examining my own life to say, Lord, Am I compromising, am I sliding into apathy, am I sliding into mediocrity in my spiritual life? I really had to take a close look at how I was spending my time, and I recognized that in my free time, I wasn't passionately going after Jesus Christ. I was turning to the distractions of the world. I would much rather watch the latest Hollywood blockbuster than spend an hour at the feet of Jesus. I would much rather turn to some entertaining spy novel than dig in the word of God for priceless treasures of truth. It was startling to realize That all the while that I had been criticizing the modern church, I was harboring so much of the same lukewarmness in my own life. So God began to really speak to my heart that night and say, before you start pointing the finger at the modern church, you need to allow me to do a work in your own soul. Now, how do we know when we are lukewarm? Because for me, I didn't even recognize it. I was so convinced that because I was against a lot of the compromise that I saw everywhere we went, I was completely, you know, spiritually on fire. And God began to point things out to me in my life, warning signs of lukewarmness. If you are lukewarm, you'll find that spending time in the presence of God, whether it's in prayer or in quiet time or Bible study, it's more of an obligation than it really is a joy. It's not something you look forward to, something you feel like you have to do. Or prayer becomes like a duty, something you need to check off your task list every day, but it's not really a delight. Or maybe you believe all the right things, but you really have no spiritual hunger or passion. So you speak a lot of the right things, but you're not really obsessed with Jesus Christ. You're not captivated by him. That described my spiritual life pretty well during that time when I was criticizing this worship team. I was saying and teaching all the right things, but my spiritual flame had faded to a flicker. And again, because I was frustrated with the compromise that I was seeing around me, that was kind of how I justified the fact that my spiritual life was on track. After that night though, I recognized that instead of pointing the finger outward, God wanted to shine his searchlight inward and begin to do a work in my own soul. He wanted to remove the plank from my eye so that I could really help others overcome apathy. If we desire revival to come to the modern church today we must first be willing to pray that prayer lord let it begin with me spiritual apathy may be a present reality in the modern church and even in our own lives but jesus says that there is something we can do about it again he doesn't just say i will vomit you out of my mouth and that's the end of the story he actually gives a lot of counsel to those who are in a lukewarm state to say, you can still be restored to a right relationship with me. And here's what I counsel you to do. So he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. So in this study on overcoming spiritual apathy, I'd like to dig deeper into Jesus' counsel to the lukewarm church over these next few sessions. Today, I want to take a look at that first step that Jesus outlines in Revelation 3. So the first step, according to Jesus, to overcoming spiritual apathy is this, buy his gold refined in the fire that we may be rich. If you have ever studied the refining process of gold, it is extremely interesting. Here's an excerpt from my study, and you can even just Google this, and you'll find out a lot of this information. But refining with flame is one of the oldest methods of refining metals. In ancient times, this form of refining involved a craftsman sitting next to a hot fire with molten gold in a crucible, being stirred and skimmed to remove the impurities or the dross that rose to the top of the molten metal. Today, gold is melted at a temperature that is incredibly high, 1,000 degrees to 12,000 degrees Celsius, which is much higher in Fahrenheit. When that mixture reaches this temperature, it melts, and the the metals in the alloy separate from one another upon melting, and all the impurities rise to the surface. It's really profound when you think about how gold is refined to understand that that is what God wants to do in our spiritual lives. And this is not a process where God is just angry with us and beating these, you know, inconsistencies out of our lives. It's this amazing, beautiful opportunity to let him gently refine us and shape us into his likeness. So the key question that we need to grapple with is this, are we willing to let him shine the searchlight within our own souls and bring dross to the surface to be cleansed from our life? this is not an easy process to walk through, but the result is truly beautiful. As it says in Hebrews, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And that is a promise that we can stand by. If we submit to God's refining fire, the end result will be that peaceable fruit of righteousness, that spiritual passion, that right relationship with God. It wasn't too long after that experience backstage where I was critical of the worship team and their hypocrisy, and God began to really point the finger back in my own spiritual life that I said, okay, Lord, I want you to refine me. I want you to make me into pure gold, whatever you need to do. And God began to walk me through sort of what I would call a personal revival season. I had started out passionate in my relationship with Christ, but I had allowed worldly distractions and the cares of this life and busyness to pull me away from him. And like I said earlier, I became a lot more enamored with the temporal things of this world than the heavenly things of the kingdom of God, even though I was speaking all the right things and living an upright life. So God began to go really deep in my life, and and I just sort of... Laid my, my soul open before God and said, Lord, whatever you want to draw to the surface and cleanse from my life, I am willing. God put his finger on different habits I had, different pastimes that I was engaged in, different things I had allowed in that were were seemingly subtle compromises, but I began to recognize how they had dulled my passion for Jesus Christ. I repented of those things. I asked him to wash me clean, and I asked him for the grace to live differently in all of those areas of my life. So it was a whole process, and it was really enabled by the grace of God. If you've never studied the grace of God, it's so important to understand that you really can't walk through a personal revival without the enabling grace of God. It's not just his favor or his hug. It's the enabling power to do what you could never do in your own strength. So if he's poking on different issues of your life or pressing on things in your soul and you think, well, I don't really have the strength to give that up or to walk away from that, ask him for the grace because that is what enables you to say, yes, Lord, I will obey. So here's a powerful quote from Amy Carmichael, who's one of my favorite characters in Christian history, and it's so convicting when we're looking at this area being like gold refined in the fire. She says, are we going in the way that Christ has gone, or are we only singing and talking and praying about it? What about likes and dislikes? What about choices? What about self? Christ's way is the way that says no to the eye that rises up so often in its many different disguises. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, which means say no to himself, and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, that is a very convicting statement. We can talk and sing and pray about going that narrow way that Christ has gone, but are we willing to say no to self, to really take up our cross daily? And follow him. And when you study that scripture, it means to put self out of the way entirely, to lay down all of our rights, all of the things we cling to, all of the things we think we have to have for satisfaction and say, Lord, I'm laying all of this at your feet. Are we really willing to let him purge anything and everything out of our lives that doesn't reflect him, that doesn't cultivate a deeper relationship with him? There's really not much in the modern church that encourages us to say no to self. That's kind of a topic that you won't hear a lot from pulpits today. You won't really go to a Christian bookstore and see a lot of books about this. A lot of times we're being shown in modern Christianity how to protect our own interests and look out for ourselves. But Jesus says that if we seek to save our lives, we will lose them. And if we lose our lives, which means to lay down our rights for his sake, we will find them. This is where true revival begins, both on a personal level and on a corporate level. If you have ever studied the great revivals throughout Christian history, they all began with repentance, this passionate desire to be right with God. There are stories in the great revivals of people just all of a sudden being in in the midst of sin and having this burning desire to get right with God. One of my favorite revivals was the Hebrides revival in the Isle of Lewis in Scotland. And there's this incredible story where the Christian people were very burdened for the apathy in their community. They started to pray and passionately ask God for revival. They prayed for months and months and months and especially among young people there was really no hunger for god and one night when the church was gathered and praying there was a group of young people on the island of Lu- uh, the isle of lewis they were all gathered in a pub they were drinking they were dancing they had no interest in the things of god and suddenly all at the same time these young people had this su- such a burning desire to leave the activities that they were involved in and find a church and get on their face and repent and get into a right relationship with God and invite Jesus into their life. They just had this overwhelming conviction, this need to repent. And accounts of that, that night say that the young people fled from the pub as if they were fleeing from a plague. Suddenly they looked around at this sin and this tr- frivolity and it just, it was so disgusting to them. And all they wanted to do was to get into a rela- right relationship with God. And that's really the attitude that hallmarks a true revival on the personal level or the corporate level where you, what matters to you most is being in a right relationship with God not you're hanging on to this sin or this vice or this comfort but being willing to walk away from it all and if you know that is hindering your relationship with God fleeing from it as if you're fleeing from a plague and that's a work that only the spirit of God can do but if you make yourself available and say Lord I want to buy from you gold refined in the fire that's the work that he begins to do in our lives now what is the result when we welcome his refiner's fire into our lives Refined gold is not only precious, it is actually indestructible. If you just do a quick Google search on refined gold, you'll see a statement like this. There is no known natural substance that can destroy gold. It can be dissolved by chemical means, but even then it remains as gold only in a more widely dispersed state. That is the kind of pure church that God desires to build for such a time as this, that even when incredible obstacles try to destroy it and come against it, it remains as pure gold only in a more widely dispersed state. And that process begins with you and me. So here's a key question. Are we willing to lead by example within the modern church by allowing his refiner's fire to do its powerful work in our lives? That is where it starts. If you are burdened for the modern church, begin to pray that prayer, Lord, send a revival and let it begin with me. There is hope for the modern church and it's found in Jesus Christ. God bless. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is streamed daily, Monday through Friday, from our studio in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekend church service is delivered live and streamed at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellersley.com. Note that our live weekday in-person version of Daily Thunder is scheduled to resume this upcoming June in conjunction with our training season. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening.